Welcome to the Adoptee Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Melissa Guida Richards, an author, adoptee, and mom. Each week, we will delve into the nuances of adoption, as well as tips for how to bring up difficult discussions in your adoptive family. And most importantly, we will not shy away from tough topics. So thanks for joining me today, and let's jump into your weekly dose of Adoptee Thoughts. One of my favorite things about the past couple of years is that adoptees and foster youth have really taken charge of our narrative and have created our own communities on places like TikTok and Instagram. While some people have some complaints about TikTok, a lot of the adoption community has found it really useful to share our lived experience and about a month ago I stumbled upon a video by a user named Blackbird and for those of you who know me know that I'm used to complicated adoption stories. I didn't find out that I was adopted until I was 19 years old. My parents hid my race and ethnicity and I had to deal with a lot of intergenerational trauma and racism within my adoptive family. But once I heard Blackbird's viral video on TikTok, I couldn't help but just reach out because his story just called to me and it just shows the injustice of the adoption industry and how children are left to fend for themselves without the proper support and and monitoring by the government to make sure that adoptions are all ethical. So before we dive into the interview with Blackbird, I want to play you his first viral video to introduce you to a little bit of his story. Put a finger down if at 15 you found out that the woman that you lived with, who you thought was your mother, ended up not being your mother, and instead was just a woman who convinced your real mother to have you in a hospital where she knew that she could steal you. And then you grew up your whole life with that fake mother telling you stories of your birth and your father and your family. And you find out that none of that uh, is real. Uh, And everyone you grew up with is not actually biologically related to you. And then you grow up um, not living with her and on being taken care of by your brother, who you thought was your blood brother. And dealing with not having a identification, driver's license, passport, state ID, because that woman destroyed all your documentation. And because of what she did, your birth was never registered because that woman convinced your mom, your biological mom, to have you in Mexico, where she knew that she could have a doctor create a fake document and allow her to claim herself as your mother. Then takes you to the United States and registers you with Social Security under her name. And then at 36, you do a DNA test with 23andMe, and you find a half-brother. And that half-brother introduces you to your real mother, and you get to learn about everything before you were born and why you were born in Mexico and why this woman was in your life. And that real mother gets to learn about a child that she never got to meet because we were separated uh, at birth. And then, with that same 23andMe test, meeting your father for the first time who didn't know that he had a son. And now, in a world where immigration is such an issue, 
you have your DNA test, DNA test with your mother, DNA test with your father, proof that they're both U.S. citizens who were born in the U.S., and you still can't get any documentation fixed because your birth was never registered anywhere, um, and not finding a single elected official who's willing to help or a news studio who's willing to air your uh, story. So while my platform is not the largest, I, I knew I had to reach out to Blackbird and introduce myself and tell him about my story and my late discovery adoption and all of the nuances and complexities that I've learned about adoption as I became an adoptee advocate and wrote two books and began writing articles for various websites. And so I asked him if he'd be willing to sit down for an interview for my podcast here on Adoptee Thoughts. And, and this is how it went. Hi, Christian. Thank you so much for sitting with me today and speaking about your experience as uh, an adoptee that was unfortunately part of this huge illegal adoption. So today I would like to ask you to introduce your story and we beginning can get I into it. Or the beginning as in like my birth. Let's start at the very beginning here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll go back even before I found out. So I grew up with, um, who obviously I thought was my mom and, uh, growing up my sister or my, my older brother had a falling out with her and eventually moved out. And my sister had a falling out with her and eventually moved out. So when I was living with her after my sister moved out and, uh, moved away, not too far, but still moved away. Um, my mom at the time, my fake mom, uh, was still going, moving from place to place and conning people and getting stuff, anything she could for free and having people pay stuff for her. And when, um, I finally got into high school, um, she ended up getting a house and we were staying in one house for a while and ninth grade she had me stay home so often that i ended up failing ninth grade uh, from missed hours and i tried to make up those hours i took saturday detention voluntarily for two months straight trying to make up those hours and it wasn't enough so i got an incomplete for ninth grade um so i think that might have been the first tipping point for my brother because um, he started seeing the signs that she's doing to me what she did to him and then she started blaming me for everything going wrong with her, with her life and trying to um, rationalize anything that is happening. It has to be my fault. And so she just became more and more not physically abusive because she was old, but verbally abusive. And my brother finally had enough of it, sat me down and explained to me that um, she wasn't my mom. So... He was like, hey, I don't know if this is going to be hard for you to understand or I don't know how you're going to take this, but I feel like I need to tell you this and it's probably time for you to know. And he's like, just so you know, that woman's not your mom. And um, I've met your mom. I used to live with her before you were born um, in California. And he was like, I don't remember much about her. He's like, I remember a couple stories about her and I remember her name is Debbie. Um, and he could barely remember her last name. Um, and he was almost right. He got her name almost right, her last name. 
Um, so when social media started to become a thing, I did start searching for Debbie or Deborah and every version of that last name I could find with uh, this kind of long message of like, hey, this might be weird, but I'm trying to find someone who might be my mom and I'm hoping you might know anything about her and your name is very close to hers. And I sent that to, I don't know, at the time, like 20 or 30 Facebook people because uh, Facebook was just becoming a thing. Um, uh, and obviously I didn't get any hits back, but no, so I, 15, I moved in with my brother, um, and he kind of was my father figure from that point. He took care of me through high school. Um, and, but then when I got closer to 18, he's like, well, let's go get your driver's license. Let's go get your social renewed and everything. Couldn't get a driver's license because I didn't have a birth certificate. Um, Went back to Carol, uh, which is my fake mom, and said, hey, uh, my, this is my brother talking to her, said, hey, Matthew needs his documents and whatnot. And she was like, oh, I don't know what happened to any of that stuff, and just played dumb about it. So essentially, she got rid of all of it. Um, so, yeah, getting close to 18, I didn't have a birth certificate, social, any form of ID. Went to the Social Security Administration. They said uh, that... The way my birth or my the way my social was registered originally, they can't use that anymore, which was a baptismal record, and that for me to get a renewal on my passport, they would require me to bring a birth certificate as proof of um, ID. So couldn't get a social security card reprinted, even though I have a social. Couldn't get an ID, um, and that just kind of compounded since then. And now I'm 36. Same exact situation. No social. So no you ID. were fourteen when you initially found out for, with your brother. Uh, fifteen. Sorry, fifteen. And he is not your biological brother, correct? He is not. He was adopted. Mm-hmm. Um, he, out of the three of the siblings that were adopted, he was the one that was adopted legally through the Catholic Church. Yeah, of course. Um, the Catholic Church did a private, closed adoption with his parents. Um, and I, I know little bits about his story. He hasn't shared it fully because it's his story and I try not to pry. But um, essentially his parents were minors when they when mm-hmm. uh, his mom was pregnant with him. And it was Pennsylvania in the 70s. And the uh, parental laws okay. in the 70s was that if they were both minors, the grandparent actually had more ownership of that child than the mother. And the grandmother was not happy that her daughter was pregnant, so she forced her daughter to release my brother for adoption through the Catholic Church, so that way it would be a closed adoption that they couldn't get the government involved <laughs> to get any of that. Okay, well, I guess we have to look at the bright side, so huh? My brother was adopted out. This woman picked him up, and then she did the same thing. She He grew up with her lying to him uh, that she was his birth mother, and that I forget his fake father's mm-hmm. name now, but... Uh, uh, he was told that okay. that guy was his father. And, I mean, poetically, at 14, uh, our oldest sister sat down and told him, like, hey, we're not related. Like, this is my mom, but she's actually not your mom. Um, but that that woman was actually, it didn't continue again. No one sat down and told her 14 or 15 okay. the same thing. <laughs> she, <laughs> it, it, yeah, 
the cycle did not repeat. Uh, but no, her, her yeah. actual Nobody should be lying like, hey, to their child about being adopted or not. She's not actually your mom. And for those of you His who are pretty new to the adoption community and, so and the history of adoption, I, I may not him, know like that back in the day, there was a lot of stigma when it came to adopting a kid. So a lot of people hid it. And because of this stigma, adoption agencies started to match kids to families that looked like them uh, so they he, could kind of fit in seamlessly yeah, legal, and it was kind of like a don't ask don't tell situation legal or not and while things have gotten better over time there are still a lot of families yeah. with this hidden secret and i was adopted in the 90s and my parents lied about my adoption although it is not a common issue it's still happening today. So you found out that you were adopted. How did things yep. play out after you confronted your mom? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So she didn't admit it for a very long time. So okay. I grew up with my brother, right? Um, I made it through high school. Um, Still no ID, whatever. I had a, I had my high school ID, and that was it. So I was able to get a job because I mm -hmm. was able to provide my social security number. And, you know, younger kids, they're not going to be as harsh on. So I think that's probably why I was able to get a job. Um, when I got older, mm -hmm. I had a copy of my, and I still do, I have a copy of my social security card that was mailed to me um, that my fake mom scanned at one point or another. And so the way I was getting jobs before was mm -hmm. uh, you were in this kind of limbo of where no one could ID. claim you and you didn't know what to do. Um, so we, what we kept doing was we kept going to the Houston uh, Mexican consulate because I was born in Mexico and that's what I was told to do, that they would figure out documentation or whatever. Every time I would go there, I was treated like less than a citizen to those people too. Because I couldn't prove I was born in Mexico. I mm -hmm. couldn't speak to really anyone there. And so I just felt lost every time I visited the Mexican consulate because there's just nothing, like no one there that was able to help. <laughs> yeah, essentially the U.S. was said, well, you were born in Mexico, so you have to, Mexico has to help you. And Mexico is like, well, you, you can't prove you were born here, so the U.S. has to help you. And so, and I didn't want to lie, because I've had people say, that to, like, why don't you just tell people that you were born in the States? Like, because okay. that's how you fall into what my fake mom used to do, and I'm not doing that. And if I have to do this the hard way, and the hard way is the honest way, I'm just going to do it the hard way. Um, I'm 36 now, and maybe, like, days of my life I've been regretting doing it the hard way, but... Uh, it's here I am. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I, I grew up just working and just trying to live the best life I could with what I had. 
when I got to 18, my now I'm gonna say brother <laughs> here. This is a different person. Um, it's my chosen brother. So essentially, my my later in life adopted family, right? Um, it's a guy that I met in high school. We became extremely close friends. He is my brother, and I love him to death. And I I love him as a brother. And his mom is essentially my later in life adopted mom. I call her my chosen mom. Um, but my brother moved to Illinois after we graduated high school. My my chosen brother. And he was like, hey, why don't you just move to Illinois? He's like, there's nothing mm. there's nothing for you in Texas anyways. Why not just move to Illinois? I yeah, like, I can't what? say why I'm not? surprised. Maybe we could find some kind of laws or something. Try and get an ID. Something. So I moved to Illinois, um, and I lived there for a little under a year. And um, he was getting ready to go to the Air Force. I was still just trying to figure out my documentation. My chosen mom at the time was helping me try to figure it out. We hired PIs trying to figure out if there was any record of my birth anywhere. If the We tried to contact the hospital and try and figure out if there was a way to get this fixed. Um, the hospital denies me ever being there um, in very illogical ways, too. But that's neither here nor there. So up uh, until now, were you working under the table? Any... How did that work? documentation for me couldn't figure out a way to get me an id um so about a just shy of a year later i moved back to texas um and when i moved to texas i ended up same thing just getting a job and really that's all i've been able to do like as long as i can get a job and survive then it's you know it's, it's not the worst life i could have right because I'm, I'm still able to put provide for myself mm. and and pay for a living um, if that ever changed, obviously, it, <laughs> it would be a lot rougher. But. Oh, no, I have tax payments all the way okay. back to 2013. Um, I've been able to get a job every single time. Part of it might be sweet talking. Um, I mean, to be fair, if if I learned anything, and we all say this, all three of the kids <laughs> that lived like the three siblings under under the fake okay. mom's house because I do have a sister who is also stolen. Okay, so but, what year uh, were you illegally adopted? Just to give us more of a time frame here. From her, we did learn how to sweet talk people. Okay, so let's get into the illegal adoption. Can you let so, us know uh, that might be everything. partly why? But no, <laughs> basically, my first job was McDonald's, and I've been working ever since. Um, the job I have now, I've worked for seven years, never under the table unless it was like my brother's moving company i would help if he needed an extra hand he would then that's about the closest thing to under the table i've ever been paid where he's like here's mm -hmm. an extra 50 bucks come help me one of my guys isn't showing up and then i'd i'd go and help him uh the okay. year i was born 1987 Yeah. So, obviously, everything I say at this point is stuff that's been told to me because I am not born yet. Um, but from the stories that I have now been able to learn from my actual biological mother and the events that happened with her and then mixing that uh, or pairing that with the events that my brother has told me, I've kind of pieced together now an understanding of what happened. So... My mother, before she was pregnant, she lived in Texas. 
and she was dating a guy here in Texas, and they had a falling out. They finally broke up because she moved into an apartment with a friend of hers, and he didn't like that, and so they broke up. Um, almost not like not too far after them breaking up, she was working, um, and she met a guy at work, and they hit it off, and that guy and her ended up hanging out. One thing led to another, and so she ended up getting pregnant, but she didn't consider that it was that guy that she met one time. She thought it was her ex-boyfriend's, and so she let him know, hey, I'm pregnant. What do you want to do about this? And when he found out, he told his mother. Um, I don't know okay. if you want to put names in here, not names in here. Um, so she told her boyfriend that she was pregnant. He told his mother the same thing. Um, none of us know wow. at why or how this happened, but that mother went to California to my fake mother and told her this situation, that her son might be having a kid. Um, my brother that I grew up with remembers those two women talking in the kitchen table, at the kitchen table, uh, a couple times mm -hmm. about me, about my birth. And doesn't remember too many details, but he remembers them saying that my mom, my birth mother, should fly to California and stay Whoa. with my fake mother. So, my fake mother was convinced, hey, there's this woman that can help take care of you while you're pregnant because my mother was didn't have you know a lot of money. Um, she was basically just living paycheck to paycheck. So they convinced her to move to California. They would fly her to California and this woman would take care of her. So my fake mother went to California, pregnant with, at the time, she thought it was her ex-boyfriend's baby, lived with this woman. So essentially arrived, your biological mother was coerced was into living with your adoptive pregnant. mother. And faked that pregnancy for months. And every time my mom asked for help, that woman would turn it around on her and go, oh, well, can you take care of... Uh, and at that time, was adoption uh, mentioned they need this, they at need that. all? I'm not feeling well. I need to sit down. And basically, my fake mother then used my real mother for labor to take care of my siblings while my real mother was actually pregnant and my fake mother was not. Yeah. For anything... Um, that it's a nice house and that the woman's really nice and that would be a, that way she could carry me without feeling stressed about going to work and trying to pay for everything while also carrying me. Yes. So here's here's what happened when this is where adoption comes in. So my biological mom was pregnant with a child before me. So I have a brother that is one year older than me, uh, a biological brother that is one year older than me. And uh, she released him for adoption in the state of Texas. She did it legally. It was a closed adoption, but it was all done through the state of Texas with an agreement that for the first X amount of years that she would get letters and pictures um, before, I think before that would stop or something. And so she got to kind of see him a little bit as he grew up. And then, and then that was it. There was a disconnect. Um, she was going to do the exact same thing with me, but she had no support on payments or anything to make that happen. 
So she flew to California. My fake mother, my illegally adopted mom, she told my biological mother that, oh, if you're looking for an adoption, I actually know a family in California that has been wanting a child. And they've tried to adopt twice. And the adoption system in California just kept screwing them over because in California in the 80s, you had one year to change your mind on an adoption, closed or open, and take your child back. And so that someone could just go to an adoption center and say, hey, I actually do want my child. And that person who did adopt them legally would have to just give the child back because apparently we're, we're a commodity and can be traded like Pokemon cards. And... So she convinced her of this heartbreaking story about this congressman and his wife who can't have a child of their own, who has had two children taken from them because of the adoption system, that they no longer trust the California adoption system, and that they will not adopt in California because they can't handle another heartbreak. And so my illegally adopted mom told my biological mother that there's this really nice hospital where my fake sister was born and that they took care of her when she had uh, my fake sister, my illegally adopted sister there, and that that's where my illegally adopted mom was going to go to deliver her children that she's currently pretending to be pregnant with. And she was like, it's a great hospital. They'll take care of everything and then you can sign the adoption papers there and because it's only three hours away it is in Mexico, California has no legislation on that adoption. And so the family's willing to do that. Are you willing to do that? And my mom, my biological mom was convinced that if this family was really nice and was wealthy and could take care of me, and that's what she wanted for me, that she would do that. So she has basically kicked herself her entire life for agreeing to this and, instead of just doing it the way she had originally planned. But she went to Mexico um, to look at the hospital and everything. She went there a few times for checkups and whatnot. And then when she had me... Uh, at that hospital, she said the only two people that entered the room were the doctor and his nurse. And she didn't have anyone else enter the room the entire time of her delivery. And after she had me, she kept asking, hey, do I need to sign any adoption papers? What do I need to sign? And they're like, oh, you don't need to sign anything right now. We need the other family to sign first. So you're good to leave. We're going to hold on to the child because it's an adoption. You can't leave with him. And... So that's it. And so she went back to California to stay at the same house that she was staying at, waiting to, for this family, this Congress family, to arrive to pick me up. And she was fed all of these reasons why the family was being delayed. Um, at one point, they had a minor car accident. They were okay, but it might take an extra day for them to get to me. Um, and so my biological mom started getting concerned, like something didn't seem right because this was taking too long and she was worried about me in the hospital. And then my biological mom said, you know what, let's, let's go down to Mexico. We'll go to Tijuana for a little bit. We'll hang out, try and unwind, relax. Again, my, my, my illegal adopted mom is fake pregnant still. And when they went to Mexico, my illegally adopted mom tried to leave my biological mom in a bar in Tijuana and then just go back to California and leave a 19 year old girl essentially, alone uh, in a bar. And she did. She abandoned her in that bar. My biological mom made it back to the 
house because she made it back across the border through the help of I think she said it was army but it, whatever it was some military branch um, they saw that she was there alone escorted her back to the border paid for a taxi and then sent her home and so my biological mom was furious with this woman said why did you leave me in that bar she gave the excuse of oh my daughter was sick and she, we really needed to hurry so we went back and we knew that you'd be okay because it's not that far away and blah 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 and so my no you're good yeah at this point i'm born i'm just in the hospital yeah i'm just in the hospital with this fake congress family on their way to pick me up and my biological mom waiting for adoption papers and so my biological mom was furious uh, with that event that happened in the bar and moved back to Texas and gave my illegally adopted mom her address and her contact info and contact info of anyone else that she could think of. And then went back to Texas and said, send me those papers, but I'm leaving. Like, I'm not staying with you any longer. And so she went back to Texas and my illegally adopted mom then went to Mexico, picked me up. Had a had the doctor make a fabricated birth certificate with her name as my mother, with uh, a guy that I've never met. I I probably met him before I was two, uh, but I've essentially never met the guy on my birth certificate, who is my father. Um, brought me back to the United States. Yeah, she really thought of everything. From what I know, not in a legal way either, not across the border. Um, and then immediately moved she moved and she changed her name and she told everyone that that was her child because she was pretending to be pregnant and i have to i have to say the the amount of layers of planning that this woman did is astounding because not only did she pretend to be pregnant she pretended to be pregnant with twins and so when she came back with just one of us she's now a grieving mother and you're not going to question a grieving mother who just lost a child yeah, so I, like, she brought me back to California. She was extremely smart about this. And I learned, actually, very recently, she had a law degree, and she specialized in adoptions. She had a nurse's uh, license, and she specialized in child care. So not only did she know exactly what to do and exactly what to say, but she knew exactly what she needed to do and say after I was born, too. And so, and I found out why later, but I'll, I'll go over that in a minute. So I come back to California. She immediately baptizes me as her child. My baptismal record from the Catholic Church says that I was born in Mexico to that woman and the same father on the fake birth certificate that I have. Um, and I grew up thinking, I was told stories about my father holding me and the first words he said when he held me. And I was told that story so many times that that feels like a memory. Which and is a lot of people who haven't been in this situation don't understand the weight of that. Is For so many years, unwillingly, like we nonsense. were part of this lie I, telling like, people what we thought was the truth, which ended up being this elaborate scheme. These stories, because, you know, people share stories or whatever, and they're like, oh, well, where's your dad? I'm like, oh, yeah, my dad died when I was two. But, and then I would tell them these same stories that I was told about my childhood and none of it was true just none of it 
and I was told like, oh yeah, and I used to have a twin brother, and his name was Zach. And then I get older, I'm like, oh my god, how many people did I tell that to? Yes, 100%. And I've, uh, luckily, I've, I had that whole kind of inner process and, and thinking through my 20s. That's where all that was, was my 20s. Like, I really, it just kept hitting me, and I was like, oh my god, like, how many, how many lies did I live through? Like, this is crazy. And so, like, I'm older now, and I'm past it, and now it's just, it's a part of my part of my life and a part of my past, but it doesn't really control me anymore, mentally at least or emotionally. Um, but yeah, it's still like it's still crazy to just think back now on and go, I told so many kids this birth story, and I told so many kids about my twin brother, and I was told t stories about him. I was I I visited my aunt at one point, and I don't even know who that woman is now. Like I don't even know if if they're related. Um. But yeah, I grew up thinking that this woman was my mother, and um, she, I mean, when I was very young, she treated me motherly enough, right? Um, but something changed probably close to maybe fourth or fifth grade, so what would I be, uh, eight or, or nine or ten at that point? So around me being nine or ten, something changed with her, and it could be that my brother moved out, my mm -hmm. illegally adopted brother. Um but she and what's the age so difference 10, 10 years okay. and my sister is uh, me and my sister's three years okay um but when when i found out that she the way that she had that all those degrees and everything speaking of my sister um she did the same thing with my sister my sister was born in the same hospital with a same fabricated birth certificate with the same doctor on it even and that like blew me away when I found that out because at first we just thought it was the same doctor that delivered us and that's it but obviously when you find out that the woman's not your mother then it's like well how much does the hospital know is it just the doctor or is it the whole hospital mm -hmm. and so yeah we grew up realizing that we're not related by blood I mean we're still related and she's still my sister and I'll always call her that yeah because you whoever you grew up with that's your family mm -hmm. but yeah, she's dealing with the same thing now. She doesn't know her family. She's not been able to find anything. Um, I essentially lucked out with my 23andMe results when I found my yeah. family. Uh, she did a 23andMe and did not come up with the same high percentage results that I came up with. Mm -hmm. And so we're still trying to find those very small connections to find her family. When did she take them? Uh, last year, 2022. Okay four weeks so i must have done it probably super early november 2022 and mid-december um i got my notification on my phone that my 23 mirror results were in and the first result was a half brother i know exactly how it feels and to so find a half sibling. i <laughs> kind of laid in bed for a bit this is about an, an hour and a half two hours before work and my my wife and i have the same routine of kind of just Laying in bed before we both have to get up and kind of chatting about our day, for, our plan for the day and whatever, and kind of playing around on our phone and our phones. And I look at my phone and I was like, oh, my 23 mirrors results are in. 
Um, do I open that now? Like, what do I do with this? And so, I'll be honest, when she, because she basically convinced me to do the test. I was, I was probably, I might not have ever convinced myself to do it because I have suffered enough big losses when it comes to trying to fix this stuff in my life that I'm getting real short on losing. Like, it's just, it's taking its toll on me, probably physically and mentally. And you can only lose when it comes to some something like this too many times before it really starts to feel like it's breaking you. Yeah, it's and very disheartening. so I don't know if I would have done a 23andMe. I, at one point in my life, I tried, but I couldn't afford it. But she was like, you have to open it, or you have to do the test. And then when the results came in, she's like, you have to open it. And I'm sitting there mentally preparing myself, and I was like, here comes another loss. I like, I don't know how I'm going to get through work today once I see this, but whatever, I'll open it. Um. And I did everything in my power not to look at the DNA results first. Like, I looked at the little mapping of my genealogy because I was always told I was half Hispanic. <laughs> my last name is a Hispanic last name. Yeah. I was even told that my last name descended from Catherine of Aragon and the the, the woman that funded Christopher Columbus for his mm-hmm. for his voyage. Uh, so all these, all these lies. But anyways, I... Finally opened it up. I looked through my genealogy. I saw that I was, like, in no way Hispanic, which is just funny to me. Growing up my whole life being told I'm Hispanic and finding out that I'm, like, uh, 78% just Northern European. Uh, what would it be? Like, 13 point something percent Irish and then, like, 0.03% other. And that's it. So, like, maybe I'm The opposite happened with me. <laughs> and, uh, which it's not, but... I looked at my genealogy. I looked at the percentage chance of hair loss and length, finger length and all that stuff. And then finally, my wife was like, okay, you just open it. Like, you have to look at it. So I open it, and sure enough, the 27 or 25% uh, DNA connection, full name and everything, says half-brother, was my number one result. And I'll... Um, Take your time. I don't know if I'm ever going to forget the feeling of reading that because that was uh, crazy to me. And I just sat there and I stared at my phone and my wife was looking at her phone when when this happened, when I finally opened it. And she finally looks over and she was like, does that say your half-brother? I was like, yeah. And I just sat there. I couldn't (laughs) move. Like I felt like an out-of-body experience and I'm like yelling at my body to move or do something. And finally, I was like, I don't, what do I do with this? Like, what do I even do with this? I have to go to work in two hours. What do I do with this? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to do nothing with this. I'm just going to go to work because I got to figure out how to process this. And I couldn't. By the time I got in the car, because my wife drives me everywhere because I don't have a night, I driver's license. But so, and my, I always pick jobs that are close. My job's like 10 minutes away. But uh, I get in the car. And I find him on Facebook, and I message. I try to message him on Facebook, and his account's privatized. And I was like, okay, 23andMe says the last time he logged on to his account was six over six months ago. I can't message him on Facebook. I got to talk to this guy. I was like, oh, I'm about to get real stalkery. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've, I've been there. Friends list wasn't available, but his wife was. His wife showed up because it's like under a different section. And I was like, all right, it's about to get weird, but I'm messaging her. And I messaged her, 
and she, her account wasn't locked and privated, so I, the, the message went through, and I requested a friend request as well, just so she, I would make sure she could see the message. Yeah. And I was like, hey, this is a weird way to start a conversation, but um, I got my 23 results in. Uh, I'm potentially or more than likely your brother, your husband's brother. If you could get him to read his or reach out to me on Facebook or something, that would be great. I'm sorry for the weird message, right? And so I told her that we're related um, and that I was just trying to find him to get some answers. Her first response was, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll remove the expletives here, but it was basically, holy crap, uh, he's been looking for you. Wow. And I went, yeah, I was like, I was not expecting that response. Like, that's crazy. So she was really excited. He messaged me no more than five minutes later and was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that you found me. Um, he knew about me. He tried to find me at one point. Um, my mom tried to find me multiple times. My sisters knew about me. So, like, my entire family on that side knew about me, and I didn't know about them. So I was basically just the child that was lost, essentially, to this family. And I didn't get to experience any of that, like understanding and so we talked for a while while i was at work um and he was like hey i'm friends with our mom on facebook if you want me to just put her in a group chat and <laughs> wow. i was like hey you know what i'm at work and i don't think i can emotionally handle that actually like totally I just understandable think that's not going to work i was like can we just wait till i get off work i was like mm -hmm. that will at least allow me to breathe and get through today because this is a lot yeah. And he was like, yeah, no problem. And I think that it was this kind of same mental process that I had where I was like, I'll just wait. I can't wait. Mm -hmm. I have to do it because no more than an hour later, he just did it anyways. And so I'm in the chat <laughs> and I have, I have this screenshotted on my phone. It's just her. She's like, hi, my name is, and she gives me her full name. She's like, and I'm your biological mom. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. And, uh, I showed a couple people at work that have been kind of um, living vicariously through me and always asking me questions and trying to find the best result, like best things they could find for me and whatnot. Um, my, my work family is just great, but yeah, I had like three of them in the back room just like crying uncontrollably when I showed it because I couldn't read it. I couldn't read it out loud. Like my, my mouth would not work when I'd say I found my mom. So I just started handing my phone to a couple of them because they're like, Matt, what's wrong? Matt, what's wrong? Because I definitely looked like I was probably like I saw a ghost. And um, a friend of mine who she's an orphan and we've we've shared a lot of deep conversations and a lot of tears together. And she was the one that probably hit me the hardest because she saw it and was like she gave me the hardest hug I've ever had. And. Yeah, it was it was just a weird day at work, and then they all forced me to go home and essentially kicked me out of the store. Um, I'm really glad that you had that support because that is an unbelievable discovery. First, your your brother, and then your birth mom, and then the messaging you yeah. before I mean, you were I, quite I ready. A it's a lot it was, to take. It was in. definitely a heavy day, and I you know I texted my wife and I was she works from home for most days of the week. So I texted her. I was like, Hey, I'm apparently leaving. I'm told to come home. Um, can you, can you head over here early? And she's like, yeah, that's fine. So I'm in the car and no more than 15 minutes after getting in the car, 
uh, I'm on the phone with my mom, with my biological mom. And I was on the phone with her for about four, three or four hours. Um, just for the first half was probably just us both kind of in shock. Like to the point where I, I don't even remember what we first said to each other at this point. Like I really don't. Um, but then we got to share, like I got to learn about the whole thing about her being in Houston and then being flown to California and all of that. I, heard, I learned all of that on the first day. And uh, she got to learn about, like, that I did live with this illegally adopted mom. And she told me, she was like, I had no idea that that's who would have taken you. She goes, I thought the hospital did something or that the family maybe did pick you up, but I just didn't get anything because it was a closed adoption anyways. And they just chose not to send me anything. She was like, I didn't know what to think. But when she tried to find the woman that she stayed with which is my illegally adopted mom she was looking for her with the name that she had at the time that they met and after they met her name changed immediately um and this woman we did some digging on her me and my mom my biological mom she's had i want to say 30 30 to 36 aliases and i know of four of them personally so i know that those that list is legit I'm able to name off because it's different combinations of the four husbands that she had with their last, like all their different last names. She would switch back and forth between them. And then she would change, she would swap her first and middle name. She would use the last name of one husband as her middle name on occasion. So her name every two to three years was different. And so if you look at my illegally adopted sister's birth certificate, her name is very different than her name on my birth certificate. And that was only three years apart. Same, a different last name, different middle name. Uh, but she always, she leaves just enough proof that it's her that I can like paper trail it backwards and show someone. Because she'll either keep one name for a while or she'll use her maiden name on occasion as her middle name. And like her maiden first name. And so... We're able to draw back and prove that it's the same woman, at least. And we have my brother's testimony that it's the same woman. But, yeah, she, to strangers, she was just a different person every two to three years. And she would ghost them, and that woman they knew would be gone, and she would move, and it'd be a new woman. Do you know her original name? Yeah, I have her birth certificate in my office. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was born, she was just born in Illinois. Like just, yeah, I have all that. She, um, a lot of people have asked me, especially from me making that video, did your mom ever look for you? Like, how did your mom not find you? Um, when I was born, I was born uh, from my mom's account. I was born January 16th. My fake, my biological mother says she delivered me January 16th. My fake birth certificate and the entire United States believes that I was born February 7th because my social security uh, admission stated that I was born February 7th because my baptismal record said I was born February 7th. So I also, when I found that out at 36, I'm like, oh my God, I've been celebrating my birthday on the wrong day for 35, 36 years, 35 years. I was like, that's insane too. Um, So she couldn't find me because... 
one way you would find someone is you would search their birth date. Well, that's incorrect, so you can't find me. And I was supposed to be born Jonathan Eric Kinsey. And that's what was set up for my birth. And the agreement was that even with the adoption, that she would still be able to name me. And obviously my name is nowhere close to that. So essentially her son, Jonathan Eric Kinsey, born January 16th, effectively paperwork-wise, died that day. Because there's no paper trail past, like, the, the, the hospital room, essentially. Mm-hmm. Have you done a DNA test with your birth mom? I have. I did a, an AABB certified test because I needed it for USCIS. So okay. I actually have a court-admissible DNA test that is unequivocal proof that that woman is my mother. And uh, I made sure I did it that way because I know that the end result is that I need to file for an N-600, a certificate of citizenship, and I need the USCIS to recognize me as a citizen because I derive it from my mother. And um, so we, I had to get that DNA test specifically because it's, it's on their website. Like if you're going to submit a DNA test, it has to be an AABB certified test. So she drove down. She doesn't fly. She's got major anxiety issues. You could guess why. Um, losing losing a child that way will do that to a mom. Um, but she flew down, or sorry, drove down to uh, my house in Texas back in February, and we met for the first time. I, I posted that video too because I love that video. Um, and mostly because I hear all the people that are like, oh, your life is so sad. I'm like, but my life's not sad. There are sad events in my life, but my life is not sad. And I want people yeah. to know that, right? So I posted a video of us meeting. There's happy moments. If you haven't been through it, you don't understand. And, um, that was the first time I ever saw my mom in person. Wow. And so we hung out for a week. Um, part of that week was to get the DNA test done. That was kind of the main mm-hmm. goal of her coming down, obviously, was to yeah. get my stuff fixed. But that wasn't the only goal because I get to see my mom. Um, we hung out. We went and did an escape room together, which was fun. Uh, we got to share stories. I got to hear more in-depth versions of everything she told me on the phone. Um, I got to learn more about my sisters. I got to learn more about my brother. Um, so it was just a week of, like, getting to... How long ago was this? Hang out with my mom. Uh, February. Yep. And so when she came down, the other reason she came down was she, uh, I was working with a news station at the time to get my story out there because the moment I found my mom, I was like, I need my story to explode. So that way I can essentially use that story. So I don't have to, and I don't think people understand this too. And this is both an adoption and an immigration situation. When you have to explain your story to one person at a time for 20 years, it's exhausting because everyone will have questions and everyone will have the same questions. And because it's an immigration issue, everyone will have their version of an answer on how to fix it as if you've never heard of immigration before, even though you're living it. And you have to go through, I mean, I feel like I've been in a loop of the same conversation for over 20 years of my life. And so the moment I found my mom, I went, oh my God, my narrative is different now. Like this changes everything because my story and what I have to explain to someone is different now. So mm-hmm. the moment the status quo changed, I was like, I need to get my story out there. 
I reached out to every single news station locally. One of them got back to me. This was back in December. We shared okay. a bunch of information. We had a little phone interview, and then I had a journalist come to my house and interview me, my wife, and my friend that I've known since seventh grade um, or eighth grade. And <laughs> she was like, this is huge. We're going to get your story out there. I'm going to help you. I was like, that's fantastic. So she tried to do a web interview with my mom while waiting because okay. my interview was in January. She tried to do a web interview with my mom late January. She said my mom's internet connection didn't work, and she'll wait for my mom to come down in February, and she'll just interview mm -hmm. in person. I said, that's fine. And so she goes, okay, so your story's not going to go out until February. We're going to interview your mom. I'm like, that's fine. So my mom comes down. Uh, she comes down on Sunday. We do a DNA test on Monday, and we do our interview in a park like 10 minutes from the DNA facility on Monday. Whole long interview. We did a bunch of B-roll uh, video. Um, and then I was like, so when's this going to air? Like, I need this to air so then I can take that news story. And that way I don't have to explain this to every single person. I can say, here, watch this video, and then I'll ask any answer any questions. So much easier. Mm -hmm. And she was like, okay, I just have to get this to my editor. We're going to work on it. Fantastic. End of February comes around. I'm like, hey, what's going on with my story? Oh, well, we want to interview your brother because he grew up with your mom. Like, that's fine. She comes in and interviews my brother. Okay, when's my story going to air? Well, it's getting close to March. And we since March Madness is in Houston, we're going to wait until after March Madness to air your story. Mm. Like, okay, that's a month, but that's fine. Like, month later, beginning of April, hey, what's going on with my story? Oh, my editor just has a few tweaks they need to make to it, so we're just doing that, and then I will tell you an air date. Like, fantastic. I waited another, like, two weeks. We're now, like, near mid, late mid-April. What's going on with my story? Uh, my boss has an issue with it. I'll call you. So she calls me. She goes, hey, we can't say you were stolen on TV because you don't have evidence that you were stolen on TV. So we have to edit the story. I was like, how long is that going to take? At least three weeks. It's like, okay. Can, like, just remove that part. Like, can you say I was born in Mexico and just not say I was stolen? Because that part's, even without evidence, there's no liability to you saying what country I was born in. Yeah, yeah. I guess I got nervous. It's a complicated case. Yeah. I mean, th to be fair, though, the hospital's saying the same thing. You don't have any proof, so we're not going to help you. And if you... If you come at us, like, they went super defensive on it, so, but that's... Yeah, uh, I'm not surprised uh, there. <laughs> yeah, so I was told, yeah, we're maybe three weeks. I was like, okay. I was like, well, what do you need for me to get this done? Because, like, at this point, it's becoming, like, taxing on my body that they keep doing this to me. Mm-hmm. And so... As, after that phone conversation, because I was on the phone with the journalist who I've been speaking to for five, almost five months now, and her boss, and I know when someone, like, I've lived through enough people lying to me, I know when someone's lying to me pretty well, and it was very obvious they had no intentions of airing my story. Like, at that point, they just weren't going to air it, and they were just trying to save face on this phone call, and so, like, I, I have felt the sting of rejection in my life when it comes to this type of stuff my entire life i know the signs i was reading the signs very clearly and so i was like you know what do whatever you need to do with my story like i'm just gonna figure this out and so 
after that phone call, I was texted by the journalist a few times, like, I'm really sorry this is happening. I'm still going to do everything I can in my power to get this done for you. I was like, you know what? You do you. Like, I again, I know how to read the signs. And so um, just, just uh, the other day, I was like, you know what? I should probably remove that journalist from my Google Doc that has all my private information on it and my documents because they're clearly not going to air my story. She hasn't texted me back. She already removed herself, and I don't even know when she did that. So it's very clearly, like, again, I can read the signs. So when... And if you've never been interviewed by a news story about your childhood, about something that happened to you, you probably don't know how intrusive it is. And they want, like, all the pictures in the world. They want you to sign over rights. They want to interview other family members. And you have to go through the same thing over and over again and tell this story a million times. And it takes a lot of emotional labor to do that. You nailed it, right? So when she came over, I I had to pull out everything. Like um, physically and and like story wise, I had to pull everything and lay it on the table for her. So I pulled, like you said, I, that's exactly you nailed it. I pulled all the pictures I had. I only have four pictures of my childhood. I don't remember. Like my child, my my childhood is dead to me. I didn't get a childhood, and so I pulled what I did have, and I I even drove down to where my elementary school was, and was trying to get yearbooks from them or records or anything. So I had to like. I had to walk my own steps of my own life for this woman for a month. And so, yeah, that was, that was like soul crushing. Like I, my body felt so heavy the day that I learned that they were not going to air my story. And I felt lost for probably a week and a half, two weeks. And that's when a friend of mine actually said like, Hey, like screw that. Like, don't try that again. Just make a TikTok video about your life. I was like, I don't know how to do that. She was like, I was like, what do I do? Just start talking like that? How's that going to go viral? Or like, who's going to see that? And she was like, I'm going to walk you through this. Here's what you're going to do. And she's the one that convinced me. She's like, pick a challenge that is currently popular and just do a video using that challenge. And I was like, hey, I don't know any challenges. I don't have a TikTok account. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'm only 36, but I'm old when it comes to social media. Like, I have a Facebook account, and that's it. Like, I have an Instagram account, but that's just to I mostly to put myself in raffles at conventions that we go to. And I was like, look, you got to either walk me through this or it's probably not going to succeed. So I owe her a lot because she was like, okay, there's a challenge that's currently popular. It's called Put a Finger Down. And I was like, I don't understand how that translates to my story at all. And so she sent me a video of this woman using it almost as a joke. And it was her explaining how she ended up getting pregnant with her high school sweetheart. And it was this Ah. whole funny story. But she did the same thing. She put a finger down and then she explained her entire goofy story. And at the end she put a finger down. And I was like, ah, I understand now. Got it. And so I recorded myself, which by the way, I hate doing tiktok videos i feel so stupid doing them i don't know how people do them all the time i feel like a dork the whole time i don't like the sound you get used videos. to it over time when I have to read comments on tiktok i have to turn my phone all the way down so i don't have to hear myself because it like plays your video in the background while you're trying to read a comment and i hate it there's so a way much. you can pause it though but when i pause it the comment goes away <laughs> uh but i just turn my phone down like whatever it'll play on repeat i don't care 
but she convinced me to do that video. She convinced me to use put a finger down. I made the video. Um, and she was like, this will get out there bigger than the news will. I was like, okay, I'll trust you. Like at this point, this one's easy. That's three minutes explaining my life in three minutes. That wasn't <laughs> uh, emotionally taxing at all. That was. And then I the power the video, of TikTok takes it from I there. I moved on with my evening. I think I went back to playing video games with my wife after I made that video. So how long before it went viral? It was so seven, six or seven p.m. I made the video. Probably about thirty minutes before I made the video, I made a TikTok account. Um. Made the video. My wife's about to go to bed. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to bed too. I look at my phone. I had 500 views. And I was like, okay. Like, I know that the first about 100 are just the people because I shared it on Facebook. I'm like, hey, if you want to share this or whatever you need to do with it, I don't know. Here's my video. Uh-huh. And I shared it on Facebook because that's where I've been sharing most of my story. I type up little memoirs on Facebook to let people know what's going on in my life. Because um, if not, they're just going to ask me. So it's easier to do that. And posted the video i went to bed 500 views and my friend was like you need to make sure you comment to a bunch of like the first people that comment you need to comment back to keep you keep yourself in the algorithm i'm like sure i'll do that so i woke up the next morning and i had 2000 views from 500 and i was like okay like 2000 is pretty cool like i thought that was cool i was i thought i was like all right 2000 that's nice like and i seriously thought it was done I was like, yeah, I'll probably get to like maybe 3,000, call it a day. I'm responding to comments for 20 minutes, and it goes to 6,000 views. And I was like, okay, mm. that's a lot more than I expected. Let me do yeah. a comment a few more times. This is like 5 in the morning. I don't work until 10. I was like, let me comment up to a few more, and then I'm just going to go back to bed. And then I comment to a few more for about 20 minutes, and then I'm at 20,000 views. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is going faster than I can comment. I am now overwhelmed, and I do not know what to do. Yeah, it can so be a lot. My wife was like, make sure you get some sleep. Don't focus on that too much. I was like, good luck with that advice. <laughs> and so sure enough, I did not sleep. I sat there and started reading comment after comment after comment. And my notification thing was stuck at 99 plus the very first morning after my video. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't know who Jolly Good Ginger was. I didn't know who Tizzy ah. was. I didn't know. Like, I don't know these people back like when I made that video, because I don't have a TikTok account. Yeah, you're so and new. All of a I'm seeing at Jolly Good Ginger, at Jolly Good Ginger, at Jolly. I was like, who's this person? And I look, I'm like, oh, four million followers. Jesus Christ. Okay. And so talked a little bit about this with my brother. I was texting him, and I'm like, hey, like my video is actually getting some views. He's like, where are you at? And I'm like, I'm at like at the time I was like thirty something thousand views. He's like, oh, that's good. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's about, like, as many people that would have seen it on the news anyways. So I got to work, and by the time I got to work and I settled down and I did all my opening routine, I was at, like, 120,000 views. And then by the time my openers came in and whatnot, I was close to 200,000 views. And then I found out, because a friend of mine texted me, and was like, hey, uh, this guy picked up your story um, and sent me the link. And it was it was Ginger, yeah, Jolly Good Ginger reposted my story. And uh, stitched himself into it and, and talked about it for a little bit. And I saved that one. And I, I told him, I've told him multiple times. Cause I've talked to him a couple times. But the, like, amount of thanks I have to give that guy for, and I know it's not a lot of work for him to just repost a video and respond to it. But, like, that helped. That helped, like, a lot compared to anyone in the past few months that has 
said they were going to help. And so the next thing I knew, once he posted it, that was it. Like, I couldn't keep up with my phone at all. I ended up, same thing, I ended up going home. And this was from a new hire who she has a background in influence media and stuff. So she, she was like, hey, you need to go home and you need to continue to comment to people and keep this going. She goes, this momentum is something that you need to use. And I was like, all right, well, when when it slows down, I'll leave. And she was like, it's slow enough. Goodbye. I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I went home, and then I spent like four hours trying to play catch up. And it was not – it was like trying to run from a freaking avalanche. Like, it was not going to work. And yeah. like then you're, I saw your video, and I saw a bunch of adoptees. Um, that was probably, out of anything that happened, the most emotional part was the amount of adoptees that stepped in and was like, you are not alone. Yeah, and, that's really like, special. You reached out to me, and there's a woman named Carpuzzi that reached out to me. Yeah, Kirsa. Yes. She reached out to me, and she's like, "Hey, like, yes, it sucks what happened to you, but you, you've just gained a whole community of people that you can mm-hmm. talk about this stuff to, and not have to talk about it like you are something on Ripley's Believe It or Not. Because yes, yeah. it may be different than your story or her story, or any of the other people I've spoken to recently." But it's not so different that it's shocking. It's just yep. different. And that has been probably the best feeling out of anything is the people that have been messaging me and they're like, I'm also adopted. And mine was also in a shady way. And I also had to grow up with people that lied to me. Because mm-hmm. like you said earlier, like that takes a toll, especially when you find out like the amount of emotional dumping that happens the moment you find out with like having to understand what was a lie and what wasn't and then like having it to can make you feel crazy process, that's a lot uh-huh and so she reached out to me and you reached out to me and a bunch of like random friends and stuff were like oh my god you're viral and i was like i actually don't care uh, <laughs> I, just, I just want my stuff fixed i was like if one person viewed my video and that one person had the answer one was enough congratulations but if 8 million people watch it and I don't get an answer, then I just don't care. Mm-hmm. Except that's what I thought. And then I realized once I met all of you guys and this entire adoption, like family, adoptee family, that I'm wrong in thinking that. And I do care because it's another story that needs to get out there. Because now I watch your videos all the time you post them and I watch Carpoozies and I'm like, oh my God, this is a dark world. Mm-hmm. Like, I do not like the fact that it's just not going to end. Like I'm not the last person that's going to have to deal with this crap. Yeah. Have you heard any more cases from that hospital? Have you wondered about that? Uh, I think that all the time. And for a long time, we thought two things. We thought one, maybe it was just me, but then we knew that my sister was born there under the same doctor. And then until I met my mom, I did think for most of my life, what if the doctor had nothing to do with it? What if the hospital had nothing to do it do with it? And that woman just had a way to forge those documents herself. And this hospital really had no clue. Like I really thought that because that was I had to think of all options. Until I met my mom and my mom's like, "Nope, I was I delivered you in that hospital and she was able to identify the doctor from a photo." She's like, "That's 100% the doctor that delivered you." I was like, did your mom have any paperwork from the hospital when she gave birth? 
no, because my illegally adopted mom said that that was all getting taken care of. Uh, she it was all out of her hands because she didn't have. They basically convinced her that all her bills and stuff were being paid for because this family was coming to pick me up, so they were taking care of all of that. So yeah, that's that's the hard part. Is I I legitimately have no record outside of my falsified birth certificate of being in that hospital, and neither does my sister. Did your mom tell anyone that she was going to give birth in Mexico? So she in California. I mean, this this is me guessing at this point because I don't know. Um, I could ask her, but she she probably didn't know anyone outside of that woman she lived with. Um. Oh, she was she was isolated from even her her own family. Her family basically wanted to disown her for being pregnant. So she had no no contact with her mom and dad. Um, they wanted nothing to do with her because she was pregnant. And your bio mom was a U.S. citizen, right? Yeah, my bio mom was born in Tennessee, and my I found in all of this I haven't even delved into this because it's not it's not kind of the main topic of this story but in this time of my mom visiting me i also found my bio dad and because i took that 23 me result and it may not have been as easy as just saying here's a brother you're done but i found second cousins third cousins and after about three four days of really intense research between me and my wife we found my bio dad and we did a DNA test. He lives in Colorado, but we did a DNA test through a company that would mail both of you the test individually, and then you would mail it back to them. And so I have a DNA test of me and my dad. So I have proof who my dad is, and I have his birth certificate too at my house. He just mailed it to me. So I have found essentially my entire family in the course of four months. That is honestly just unbelievable and i really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today about this right so i i kept getting told by a friend of mine do a tiktok video this was about a year ago i was like that's the biggest waste of time advice i've ever been told by anyone ever like why would i do that and it was probably early enough where that was still somewhat true where the the app wasn't really used for much more than teens practicing one of four dances and yeah, <laughs> I didn't do it thinking it was stupid. Um, and to be fair, when I made the video, I still thought I was I felt a little dumb. But uh, <laughs> I was told to do that video multiple times. I was like, no, that's like what is putting and that's exactly how I felt. What is putting a story like my story, which is so weird on an app that is used for people to lip sync and zoom in and zoom out of their face and dance? Like, that to me was TikTok in a nutshell, if I had to explain TikTok. And even when I made the video, I still felt that way until I made that video, and then my algorithm started coming up with all of this other stuff, and I was like, okay, there's more to this than I thought. And so, I, I you know, I admit my mistakes in thinking that way, but then I met, like, the, the community, right, Ginger's community, and I met the adoption community, the adoptees of TikTok or whatever, and I was like, oh my god, this is, this is so much beyond me. So it was, it felt really good to finally have an overwhelming moment that wasn't just the feeling of a loss. Like I, I can't express like how that yeah. felt because you're finally I'm dating not kidding, a community. Like, I'm, I'm just so done with taking L after L. 
Mm-hmm. And so that felt really good. Like that removed a lot of this kind of weight off my chest. Cause in, before I made that video, the other thing I did um, was I applied for a passport because I had my DNA test and on the website for passports, it talks about that. Like you can try and appeal for a passport using a DNA test. If you don't have a birth certificate and all this other stuff. And so I found a um, passport agency near my house I reached out to a bunch of them. I left voicemails at like five different agencies and explained my story before my TikTok video. And I was like, hey, this is my situation, but I have a DNA test. I have this, I have that. And this guy called me back. He's like, I'm pretty sure I can help you get a passport. And I was like, I hope so. That would be cool. Because an N600 in the state of Texas is a 14-month wait. Like the, And that's just, that's just to get one of your hearings done. Um... I was like, I'm 36, like another 14 months sucks. And so I was like, if we can get a passport, then I I don't mind waiting 14 months because I can use that passport to get an ID. I can travel. Like my life can start completely. I can sign my marriage license. Like there's a lot. And so we did that and he, not his fault. I, I have no negative feelings towards him at all, but he did pump me up because he seemed so confident. And then I got that email from, uh, travel uh, state of, uh, Department of State stating that my passport was declined. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And that was another loss I just physically was not ready to deal with. And texted him and I was like, hey, what's our next step? And he's still fighting for it. Actually, it's back in processing right now, which is cool. Um, but... Yeah, he, he was like, you go get me any other documents you can get. Like, I'm not done. I'm going to escalate this because it says you can use a birth certificate. I mean, a, a DNA test and you have that. And so I'm escalating this to this guy's boss. So he, he pulled the I want to speak to your manager to the to Department of State, essentially. I'm um, glad so he's advocating for you. Declined. And um, okay. like I was. Between my news, this the me not being put on the news and my passport um, denial happened within a week and a half of each other. Like two of the hardest losses I've dealt with happened within a week and a half of each other. And then I made that TikTok video and someone on TikTok messaged me and was like, I don't know if you know this, but you can actually reach out to your local senator and they can appeal to have your passport application overturned. I was like, that's a very weird thing that the senator's office can do. But I'm glad you told me that. Like, what a weird <laughs> Yeah, and I never would have sure expected enough, that. Uh, I talked to Ted Cruz's office a long while back when I was first trying to get my story to air. And the one of the guys in his office um, felt really bad about the – like, because he's – he tries to help with immigration in that office as much as he can. So he's kind of the person that focuses on that. And he felt really bad for what was, what I was going with because even though mine's an immigration case, at the same time, it's not. I'm, like, somewhere in between because, like, yes, I was born in Mexico, but both my parents are just U.S. citizen born. Like, my dad's from Texas and my mom's from Tennessee, so, like, I'm just in a weird situation. Um, so he's like, we're going to get this fixed. So he's he's reached out a couple times and tried to work on different things, but, you know, to the best of his power, which I understand. And so I let him know that I applied for a passport. And sure enough, he sends me this thing that's just a senator's po- uh, like a release form for passport application. Like it's it's a form dedicated to a senator helping with a passport. 
I was like, what a weird, very specific document you have for me to see. Yeah, you think if they have this form, <laughs> they'd have a better process of getting yeah, things like, like this fixed. Yeah, like, how many people have reached out to you where someone's like, we need to make a document for this? Yeah! So, I guess enough. But, yeah, this woman <laughs> on TikTok was like, hey, I'm getting my passport overturned. I was like, how the hell did you do that? And so she's like, the senator. I was like, okay. So, yeah, I filled out a form that was a passport release form. Um, where a senator can petition, and basically the senator's office can say, well, we trust that this person is who they say they are, and this is the documents they've provided you, so we think you should overturn it. Now, it's not a guarantee, but any work I can do, well, I've got to try, right? I mean, I'm, in, I'm just in that position. If it's, a, if, it's a, if it's a chance, I have to take it. So they're helping yeah. me. The guy from the passport agency is helping me, and um, I'm just kind of waiting on that. But I'm trying to keep my expectations, like, trying to drag that bar of expectations down on the ground this time, mm-hmm. just in case. But uh, that's where I am right now. I have a, I did have an attorney reach out to me again from TikTok. So if this all gets fixed, I, I have to rethink how I thought about that app completely. I mean, I already <laughs> It changes lives. I have to be. Like, TikTok gate, let me start my life. Like, if TikTok's the reason I get to sign my marriage license, because that's really, I. there's only two things I care about right now when it comes to fixing my identification. One, I've always wanted to travel, and I've never been allowed to. And I want to sign my marriage license to my best friend. Like, that's, I'm not asking a lot <laughs> I'm Basic human rights that you should be allowed to do. On a whim. Like, someone could go get yep. married today on a whim just because. And I can't mm-hmm. do that. And that stings. Like, we, we still did our full ceremony. Like, I love my wedding. My wedding was beautiful. And my, you know, the wedding itself meant everything to me. My, I still recited my vows. So, like, I don't need a paper to, for me to be a partner to my wife. But, mm-hmm. um... I still would like that document just because it's not fair that I can't have it. So, yeah. Thank you again for, for taking the time to, to speak with me today. And a big thank you to all the listeners that are re-listening to this because the first audio got messed up. I really apologize for that. Um, but I just wanted to give a quick update because of TikTok. um, Christian was actually connected with a an attorney who is helping with his case to to get an N six hundred so he can get a citizenship and so he can sign his marriage certificate. It's still a slow process, so um, more updates to come. And go follow him at Blackbird on TikTok. He has a bunch of videos there as well. And every share comment is so helpful because it boosts the engagement and gets more people to get eyes on his videos and hopefully someone will be able to push this through. And as a reminder, for those of you who are here to learn more about adoption, that they, Christian's story isn't isn't rare here. There are a lot of adoptees without citizenship, and there are still adoptees being deported out of the United States um, because of a lack of citizenship. And this is something that, that needs to be addressed. Which is why it's so important for you to share adoptee videos and share adoptee podcasts like this to get the word out. And I really appreciate everyone. 
I'm so glad that you joined me today. And if you would like to hear more from Adoptee Thoughts, make sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you'd like to learn more about me, you can check out my website, adopteethoughts.com. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.